whether people want you to or not, and it's okay. I mean, stop and think of all the stuff that's going on. You walk through malls and you hear Christmas carols being played. What a testimony. You don't know how God is going to use it. I heard of, of uh, and read in the paper the other day that San Jose Airport has three grand pianos just sitting there and people before the security checkpoint, and you can go down there and play. So I thought, that might be kind of fun, go down there and play some hymns and some Christmas carols and maybe take a couple tracks and see how long it takes for me to get kicked out of the airport. I don't know. <laughs> you know. But there's opportunities this time of the year to really... Uh, evangelize the lost, to reach out with the gospel message. I mean, that's what Christmas is all about. And so I want to take you through a little series the next couple of weeks. All I want for Christmas is, and each week we're going to look at a little subject matter on what we want for Christmas, and today's subject is joy. Um, I've read some of these before, but I just think they're so cute. I can't help but read some of them again. Uh, you know, you, you hear this time of year kids writing Santa letters and all that. And, and uh, this one letter just cracks me up. It says, Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live in our house. There is Jeffrey, he is two. There is David, he is four. And there is Norman, he is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. By the way, my name is Norman. <laughs> You know, it's not easy sometimes to wait as younger people for that day to arrive. I don't know what it was like growing up in your house, but my sister-in-law would always go overboard for Christmas. We'd decorate the whole house, and we'd have at least one tree, if maybe not two, downstairs, upstairs kind of a situation. And, uh, you know, parties going on all the time in our home, people coming over. And it was just such a joyous time of the year. But I remember as kids remembering my sister-in-law getting our gifts and hiding them. And she would be very creative where she would hide them because, you know, we knew that Santa brought the gifts. You know, that's just what we understood. But it was kind of a uh, fun thing to find some of these gifts. You know, we'd look in her closet. We'd look, we'd look everywhere under the bed. And once in a while, we'd get lucky and hit a gold mine and see actually what we were going to get for Christmas. But I always remember when we did that, opening up that package on Christmas morning was just, it just didn't seem the same, you know, because you knew what was in it. Uh, it's not easy to wait, especially when we're excited, expecting something really, really exciting. Um, most of you have heard, or maybe you haven't, you've heard the song definitely, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth. But maybe you don't know that uh, that song is about a little girl who was literally lamenting the loss of her two front teeth. It was written by a music teacher in 1944 after asking his class what they wanted for Christmas. And we know the line, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. But here's part of the rest of the song. Everybody stops and stares at me. These two teeth are gone, as you can see. I don't know just who to blame for this catastrophe. But my one wish on Christmas Eve is plain as it can be. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. My two front teeth. See my two front teeth. Um, most people this time of year are wishing for something. A little more than their two front teeth, hopefully. And sometimes... We long for things that we don't have. Um, maybe in your own heart this morning you could sit there and say, you know, if I only had this, <laughs> then we could be happy. Um, sometimes we reach for things that are just simply not within our grasp. They're elusive. And sometimes that causes some unnerving feelings to set in, depression, whatever it may be. And I think sometimes we've forgotten that it is Merry Christmas. This is the time of the year that we should, especially as believers, have the joy of the Lord in our heart. But a lot of times this time of year, we're, we're craving for something. We, we want something, you know, we want that special gift, and we're trying to find that special gift. Um, the prophet... Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus was born, 
brought a message that contained both bad news and good news. Bad news of judgment. You can turn over to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. We just want to look at this verse briefly. Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. He brought a message of both good news and bad news. This was 700 some years before Jesus was even born. The bad news was judgment. The good news was joy, peace, forgiveness, and hope. And I just want to read this portion of scripture for you. And as I read it, I'm just going to point out to you where I think these four themes as far as joy, peace, forgiveness, and hope fit within that scripture. It says there in Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I think that's a joyous event. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring them peace, to proclaim freedom for the captives. That would be through forgiveness and to release the darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That should give us hope. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, and oil in the Bible designates joy, instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Today I want to focus on that first thing, joy. Isaiah looks ahead in time when these glad tidings will be preached to the sad, to the sorrowful, to the depressed, to the despondent. And it says there that he will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was a promise of, of joyful jubilee, you might say. I mean, this had to be good news to those who were just grieving in their hearts. It says that they're to bring a garment of praise and that that would replace what they would have as a sackcloth of sadness. Ashes in the Bible represents grieving, anguish, turmoil, while oil always in the Bible represents joy. And so you see the contrast here. God's people had really at this point in time just been overwhelmed and been pummeled with problems. And yet in the midst of the mess they found themselves in, these words filled them for a longing for something more. They had waited a long time for this special gift, just like little kids wait for Christmas Day. God's people waited for this special gift from God. And it was proclaimed through the prophet Isaiah that one day the Messiah would come. Heard a read a little illustration of a lady who at the last minute, a couple days before Christmas, she forgot she didn't send out any Christmas cards. She had always sent out Christmas cards. She knew the people that she was sending them to were expecting these Christmas cards. So she ran by and she found this box of 50 cards and she didn't even read these Christmas cards, you know. And they were all the same and they were the cheapest ones on the shelf. So she just grabbed them. She ran home. She got her pen out. She just started signing these things. And she sent out about 49 of them. Got them in the mail. And then she felt, okay, good. At least I'll get their Christmas card the next day before Christmas. That'd be great. And as she was going to bed that evening... She looked at one of the, the 50th card that she hadn't sent because she didn't need to, and it was on her nightstand. And she thought, I'm going to look at this. And she looked at it. And the outside, it said, Merry Christmas, blessings to you. She thought, she opened it up, and on the inside it said, This is just to say, a special gift is on the way. <laughs> and she sent out 49 of these things. See, sometimes at this time of the year, we get overwhelmed with doing certain tasks and we don't even think about it. And here we find ourselves 
Turn over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Because I want to share something with you this morning. Fast forward from the time of Isaiah, when this is all prophesied to happen, to a hillside outside of Bethlehem. And imagine the cool of the evening. And look at verse 8 of chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke. It says, in the, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I just want us to focus this morning on a couple words here in this scene to kind of set things up. I want to look at really the the, the method here that God uses to proclaim his son. First of all, that word night, it says there that shepherds were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Um, you know, that was, that was when they needed to be watching the flock. That was when the wolves or whatever would be out there wanting to take one of their flock away from them would be on the prowl. You know, I can't help to think that today, in the day and age we live, at, live in today, um, when I think of that word night, I think of darkness. I think of a picture of the human race apart from Christ. Spiritual darkness has covered the earth for years. And now, here in this situation, as we know it, Satan's head is about to be crushed with the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Recovery of sight for the blind is about to occur. The long, long night that they've lived in all these years, apart from Christ, is about to be over. It's about to end. Instead of this deep darkness and a hush from heaven, light is about to appear. This is Zechariah's prophecy, and if you look over in, in Luke chapter uh, 1, just turn a page back, verse 79, he says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. See, that's the, the rising sun that's come from heaven, and that's his purpose, to shine on those who live in darkness. Beloved, we've all been there. Maybe we're still there in the darkness. I know growing up in a, in a church that was filled with erroneous teaching, idolism. I remember... When I first heard the gospel, I just thought, wow, is this true? Because if this is true, what I'm doing right now isn't. (laughs) I could see very clearly the the lines of demarcation. Because the church I was raised in said, no, you just be a good little boy and you do what the church tells you to do and everything will be just fine. You just keep working at it. And eventually, you'll work your way into heaven. That's what I was told. But then I heard the gospel, and the gospel said, no, it's just the opposite. You can't work your way into heaven. You can never work your way into heaven. The only way you're going to get to heaven is by the grace of God, believing in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting him the sacrifice that he made for you on Calvary in your, on your behalf. And I remember the day when I committed my life to Christ, and it wasn't, 
I wasn't real emotional about it. It just seemed like the right thing to do. But I remember feeling this overwhelming burden like lifted off me like, wow, now I understand the truth. And it's as if someone took me out of a dark room where there was no light out into the sunshine. And for the first time I could see God's intent and God's purpose and God's plan for my life. See, the night is really a picture of spiritual darkness. And if you don't know Christ, you're in spiritual darkness. Secondly, the second word there, it speaks of light. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appears in a flash of light. It says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. I mean, can you imagine being in that place? You're out just watching your flock, and all of a sudden, boom, out of the darkness, there's this bright light, and it's the glory of the Lord. I mean, I don't know what the glory of the Lord looks like. I've never seen it, but I can only imagine it must be just incredibly bright. You know, nowadays, they have the new, if you go out and you you get some uh, Christmas lights, you know, these kind of lights are kind of a thing of the past now. Now they got the new LED lights, right? And the new LED lights, they're just, to me, they're just too bright. You know what I'm saying? They're just, they're just overwhelmingly bright. I mean, I, I kind of like the old-fashioned ones. So I don't know what the glory of the Lord looked like, but it was shining all around them. And this is really a picture of, of the, the light of the Holy Spirit that he illuminates our life with his convicting work. In Isaiah chapter 9, I'm reminded of a prophecy in chapter 9, verse 2. It says this, The people walking in darkness, Isaiah 9, 2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. I don't know if you have come into the light yet. I don't know if you've embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't know where you're at spiritually That's between you and God. But I do know that if you haven't done that, if you haven't committed your life to Christ, you're in darkness. The Bible makes no qualms about that. You're removed from God himself. There's an obstacle of sin between you and your creator. That's why God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take on our sin upon himself. Maybe you've been exposed to the light, but you haven't embraced it. Third word here is fright. (laughs) And you look at verse 9, as most of us probably would be. It says there, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with what? Fear. Fear. They were terrified. Another way of putting it. This wasn't a casual night out with the the flock on the the hills surrounding Bethlehem. This word means that they were alarmed. They were agitated. The King James, I like that translation, it says they were sore afraid. (laughs) You know, fear and fright just filled them. That's what happens when you're exposed to the kind of light that God is dishing out. One pastor said this, sitting in darkness, sitting in the darkness of sin may have been spooky, but it was tolerable. But suddenly the glory of God's absolute holiness shines in your sin-blackened heart. And suddenly you become undone. That's what happens when we're faced with the glory and the holiness of God. You know, we've, we've lost the understanding of what it means to serve a holy God. I think, you know, so many churches today, they think of God as the man upstairs, you know, white-haired guy that's just nice all the time, loving. God is holy, beloved. He is totally 100% holy. And we are not. And if we were to be ushered into his presence in that situation, we would definitely be filled with fear. 
It's only because of the grace that we find through the Lord Jesus Christ that we, the Bible says, we will stand before and come boldly before the throne of grace. Not because of who we are, but because of who Christ was and the work that he did on Calvary for us. And look at what the angels say to him here. Very first thing, the angel said to them, fear not. <laughs> the last word here, everything's going to be all right. Just, just hold on. I know this would just really, really freak you out, shepherds, but hold on. And almost immediately, the angel is comforting them. Fear not. Everything's going to be okay. Do not be afraid. As they're going through this process of night, light, fright, the angel comes and says, you know what? Everything is going to be just fine. Everything is going to be all right. When the angel showed up in the Bible, I mean, sometimes people today have a different idea of what angels are. In a lot of Christianity, I think people actually worship angels, unbeknownst to them even. Angels are always men in the Bible. There's no female angels. And when angels are always, when they, whenever they confronted mankind, the immediate reaction was always fear. Because it's a supernatural being. They were always filled with fear. And the angel would always respond, usually, fear not. Another thing is, the angels always communicated in a way that was understandable. Some churches teach, well, you, you know, they believe in the, the gifts of the Spirit to the extent of tongues is for today, and people speak in different languages, and they say, well, that's, it's angel talk. It's, it's the talk of angels. Because Paul said, you know, I'd rather speak so many words in angels than speak, you know, and they take that and they take it out of context and they say, well, angels must speak a certain secret language. No, they don't. Wherever in the Bible an angel speaks, he's perfectly, totally understood by whoever is hearing him. And so he says, don't be afraid. Because usually the angels were often messengers of wrath. When an angel showed up, usually bad news was often part of the deal. That's just the way it was. But this time here... With these shepherds, it was a little different. I looked up on my computer, my software, the words fear not. It's interesting that they appear 365 times in the Bible. One for every day. <laughs> One for every day. As Christians, fear is not to be part of our lives. My uh, wife likes to scare me at times, kind of startle me, pray, play pranks on me, whatever. I mean, crazy things. I'll be coming home and walk in the door, and she'll be hiding in the, the dining room. And I'll walk into the kitchen, and all of a sudden, boo! And I just, ah! You know. It's like, well, who else do you think would be here? It's like, that's not the point! You know? I get so upset. I mean, you're going to give me a heart attack one of these days. And that's kind of been passed down. She did that with, with Crystal a lot. And uh, so now Mason likes to scare people, my grandson. So he's always scaring people. But he does not like to be scared. I mean, he is so timid, he, just, he can't handle it. And, uh, you know, fear is, is something that can just paralyze us at times. And, and here, the angel's response was, hey, don't be afraid. This is, this is going to be... A good message, and that's the next point here. What's the message that he gives? Well, the first thing is good news. As the angel appears to these shepherds who are just, you know, they're just out on the hillside doing their job. These aren't anybody special. They're kind of the lower part of society, to be honest. But his concern, first of all, was to calm them down because they were simply terrified. You know, it's not every day you run into an angel. And so the reason they did not have to tremble was because the angel was about to make an incredible announcement. And that's what he says. After he says, fear not, verse 10, he says, I bring you what? 
good news of great joy. Bring you good news. That phrase means to announce, to declare, to show. Uh, We use the word to evangelize. Evangel is good news. It's the word from which we get the gospel. The gospel is good news. So many times I think Christians think the gospel is not good news because we don't share it as often as we should. I mean, there's a lot of good news in the world, but so many times we're focused on the bad news. I mean, just stop and think of your own life. Are you more apt to go to the good part or the bad part? Usually we go to the bad part. I don't know. Not doing that well health-wise. I'm not, you know, well, the good news is, you know what? You're still breathing. You're still here with this. That's good news. And the good news is, is, you know what? You'll die on time. Everybody dies on time. God is sovereign. God controls all that. We don't need to worry about those kind of things. Talk to my brother Tom when I was back there, and he's got cancer in his spine. He's not doing too well now. I'd appreciate your prayers for him. But he was always been a guy that, uh, I mean, he entered the Marine Corps when he was 17. He had to have dad sign the thing so he could go. He was just a short little guy, but just a powerhouse of an individual. And he's always had, you know, two, three, four jobs. He's an auto mechanic. He had a refrigeration business. He owns a farm. He, he was just a really, really hardworking individual. And his wife was telling me that it's so hard to see him now because, you know, between the radiation and the chemo and everything else they're giving him, trying to get this thing under control. Um, I mean, eventually, it's, you know, it's going to take his life. That's what's going to happen. Um, but the good thing is, is he's ready. He knows the Lord. He's lived a good life. He even has the opportunity to sell off a lot of the, the stuff, the farm equipment and everything, so it's not a burden to his wife after he's gone. God's granted him that grace. I mean, I don't know when he'll pass, but I told him when I was back there, I said, you know what? You look pretty good. And he says, well, the doctor says it's not too good. And I said, you know what? Everybody dies on time, Tom. Everybody dies on time. You're not going to die a second before God calls you home. And he knows that. But see, this is good news. They're making a proclamation here of good news. And sometimes we need to stop and we need to refocus our lives and get out of the doldrums and the depressed and, and the, you know, all that stuff and say, you know what, what's the good that's in my life? What's going on that's good? You know, the good news is only good news when it comes in response to bad news. <laughs> right? Good news is only good news when it comes in response to bad news. So, wow, you go in for a test, and, well, the, the readings aren't right, and the doctor calls, oh, we've got to do some more tests. Well, that's bad news. Nobody likes to hear that. But when you go in and they say, oh, you know what, oh, something quirky with the test, and everything seems fine. Well, that's good news. But you wouldn't have got the good news if you didn't have to hear the bad news first. You know, beloved, the bad news is simply this. We're sinners. <laughs> We're sinners. There's not a person in this building that could stand up and say, I've never sinned. I've never done anything wrong. The good news is that the Savior has been born. And until you understand the depth of our depravity, you understand the depth of our sinfulness, you're not going to appreciate the good news of Christmas. You just won't. We can't appreciate amazing grace until we first have appreciated the fact That is, wretches, we deserve the wrath of God. And there's no hope for us outside of Christ. The message contains good news. And the great joy won't come until the good news of the gospel settles in our hearts. And the good news is the best news possible. Well, the second thing here says it's good news of great joy. Great joy joy. That word great, by the way, is, is megas in the Greek. I mean, think about it. You know, you're going through the McDonald's drive through and you order your number two, you know, quarter pounder with cheese and a Coke and fries. 
And you're all thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe the pastor eats that. Well, I have it once in a while. I should probably have it less often, but I do. But what do they say? Do you want to supersize that, right? Do you want that big? What do you want? Small, large, medium, whatever. And you can pick whatever size you want. Well, the idea of this word is mega joy. It's supersized cheerfulness. It's over-the-top hilarity. The good news is exceedingly and abundantly exciting because God is bringing about a solution to our sin problem that otherwise we couldn't deal with. And they went in the, the midst of a sentence here from great terror, horrific terror, to great giant joy. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says this. He asks this penetrating question of the Galatians. He says, what has happened to all your joy? What has happened to your joy? You know, that's a question that needs to be asked of the church today. What has happened to our joy? What has happened to my joy? What has happened to your joy? You know, is this it? You just grow old? And die? Is that it? I don't think that's what God's plan is for us. I want you to understand here today, as long as you're able to breathe your next breath, God has a purpose for you here. It's not just to grow old and watch the world go by. God has a calling for you, but are you willing to listen? What happened to that joy? Billy Sunday once said this, the trouble with many men is that they have got just enough religion to make them miserable. (laughs) Then he said this, if there is not joy in your religion, you've got a leak in your religion. Pastor once said to Groucho Marx, Mr. Marx, I want to thank you for bringing so much joy into the world. To which Groucho replied, I want to thank you for taking so much out. See, we tend to equate happiness with joy. And they're just two totally different ideas because they spring from different sources. One comes from the world around us. You know, we're we're happy because our happenings, what goes on around us, our circumstances are such that, that pleases us. Happiness is conditional, and it's based on and dependent upon what is happening to us. If people treat me nice, if things are going well, the checkbook balances, then I'm going to be happy. But if my circumstances aren't that favorable, then what happens? Then I'm unhappy. How are you doing today? Oh, just things aren't going well. See, joy, on the other hand, beloved, and you have to understand this, joy, on the other hand, it basically runs throughout Scripture as a profound, compelling quality of life that transcends the delights and the disasters that sometimes just dog God's people. Joy is a divine dimension of living that is not shackled by circumstances. The Hebrew word means this, to leap or spin around with pleasure. Now, I'm not one to dance, okay? I just never have. I mean, at our wedding, at our, at our rehearsal, I, I was sweating bullets because I'm thinking, how can I get out of doing this dancing stuff because I just don't dance? Nothing against it. I just don't do it. And my wife's from Trinidad, and that's all they do is dance. So I thought, you know, somehow I've got to put up an ironclad thing that I will not be dancing at our wedding or at the reception or any time around that. And the way I did it was we hired a harpist (laughs) at our reception. That's all. And I thought, you know what? That's safe. Who dances to a harpist? My one brother, Jim, who was single at the time, did try to figure out some moves. You know, he used to think he was John Travolta or something to something the harpist was playing. But other than that, nobody danced including me. But this word means to leap or spin around with pleasure. You know, there's nothing wrong with being excited that you're a Christian. There's nothing wrong with being excited to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, that word refers to gladness, to bliss, to celebration. 
See, it's this time of the year, beloved, that, yeah, the world makes a mockery of Christmas. Yeah, it's over-commercialized. Yeah, all that garbage is going on out there. But you know what? Praise God that you can turn that around. That you can't walk into a restaurant and say, you know what? Merry Christmas. Or a store. Wherever. And really be a positive, joyful testimony for Christ. That's hard in our happy holidays culture. People are busy, shoppers are stressed, families are fractured, and joy seems so elusive. But friends, no matter how broke or how busy you are this time of the year, you can be joyful. And you can be joyful because it's a choice to rejoice. It's a choice. Look over at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. We know this verse. We probably memorized it. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul writes. And then he says, I will again say rejoice. Just a couple choices that we can make that help us have that joy in our heart. First of all, recognize God as being joyful. Recognize God as being joyful. We can be helped greatly in our journey towards joy if we learn that the Almighty God is not some taskmaster up there in heaven with a whip cracking it every time we do something wrong. God is holy, yes. But God is also the God of the universe with a smile on his face. And it says that they have a party in heaven whenever a sinner repents and turns to Christ. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. It it tells us how God feels about us. It says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Do you know that God rejoices over you with singing? I mean, God delights in us. God delights in you. He delights in me. He breaks out into song when even he thinks of us. And that's all the time. I love how one translation puts that. It says, is that a joyous choir I hear? No. It's the Lord himself exalting over you in happy happy song. You know, that's what... Our God thinks of us. He's filled with joy. Luke 10.21 says that Jesus was full of joy. Some of us don't view Jesus as joyful, but he was. So recognize God as being joyful. Secondly, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It seems kind of a no-brainer, but you know what? If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot really experience real lasting joy. It's just impossible. You say, well, what are you talking about? If you look at Acts chapter 16, verse 34, you remember the Philippian jailer, Acts 16, verse 34, it says, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Not only just him, but his whole family. When you come to Christ, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know even how it happens, but somehow God infuses you with a divine joy. So I ask you, is joy what you really want this Christmas? If so, you have to come through the cross. You have to go to Christ. You have to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Recognize your own sinfulness before a holy God and cry out to him for mercy. Christ was born in Bethlehem. That's true. But the Bible says that he must be born in you. You must be born again. Corey Tenboom once said this, if Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, then I would still be lost. That's true. It's easy to get all sentimental during this time of the year. But don't substitute sentimentality for salvation. And the last thing here that you can choose joy is not only recognize God as joyful, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but remain close to Jesus. 
Psalm 1611, David writes about the source of his delight. He says this in 1611 Psalm. He said, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Even Jesus in the New Testament in John 15 said this. He said, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you think God was a little interested in our joy? Yes, he was. As believers, we need to make sure that we're abiding in Christ. Don't get off on your own deal. Don't go do your own thing. Make sure that what you're doing is what Christ wants you to do, what God wants you to do. You say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, start with the book. You know, there's some basic commands in there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Start there if you don't know where else to start. You can't do either one of those without God's assistance. But remain close to Jesus. And then this message is thirdly a global message. He says there it's great news, it's of great joy, but it's also for all people. That's what the angel said. This this mega message that was intended for these shepherds wasn't just for one group of people, but it was for the entire world. God's good news of great joy is for all people. It's the joy to the world that we sing about. That's why we support missionaries that go into foreign lands and share the gospel with those who have yet to hear because we want that joy, that gospel to be spread. One of the best ways, if you're one that's prone to depression, one of the best ways to build your, your joy tank in your life is by talking to others about Christ. Just start talking to people about Jesus. Talk to others about what he has done in your life, how he saved you, what impact he's had on you. Philemon, verse 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. How are you going to understand every good thing we have in Christ? By sharing your faith. Well, I'm kind of timid. I don't, I don't, that's okay. God created you that way. You don't think he knows that? There's ways that you can share your faith. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to go get a 20-pound King James Bible and stand on the corner. You know, there, there's ways that you can share Christ with people. But it focuses on when they come to Christ, that joy. Luke 15 is an example. It records how much rejoicing takes place when one sinner is saved, when one lost person is found. It speaks of the lost sheep is recovered there in, in Luke 15, verse 5. And the owner says, joyfully, he puts it on his shoulders. And he goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors together. And he declares in verse 6, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. I mean, God is a joyful God, beloved. Don't think he's some scrooge up in heaven just waiting to ruin your life, take all the fun out. That's not what our God is about. Jesus reminds us even in John 436, that we can be filled with joy. We can be filled with delight when we participate with him in the process of evangelism. He says in John 436, even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad, it says together. An atheist once made this remark to some Christians. If you want me to believe in your Redeemer, then you've got to look a lot more redeemed. Wow. If you want me to believe in your Redeemer, then you you better look a lot more redeemed because what I'm seeing (laughs) doesn't motivate me to budge at all. If we're going to be having an impact on people's lives this time of year, beloved, we have to be filled with joy. Psalm 107, verse 22 says, Let them tell of his works with songs of joy. So how's your joy tank this morning? The last thing here, this is granted to us, it says. The proclamation is very personal. It says, A Savior has been born To what? To you. 
See, Christians must come to a point in time where they personally confess the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not good enough to go to church. It's not good enough to pray over your food. It's not good enough to pray when you're in trouble. That's not what God's interested in. God's interested in you. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. The Savior can never save you until you cry out, you know what, Christ came for me. And he died in my place as my sin substitute. I accept him into my life and I surrender to his lordship. Does that mean you're not in control anymore? Yeah, that's basically what that means. And that may be an issue for you. But you know what? I've learned over the years, beloved, I'd much rather have God in control of my life than me. And you can talk to person after person after person who's made that change, and they will answer in the affirmative to that. I've never met a Christian who's come to Christ, who's had their sins forgiven, who's had their life transformed, their life changed. They're not just professing Christ. They're actually saved. They're born again. God has transformed them from darkness into light. I've never had one of those people come back to me and say, you know what, I want my money back. I don't like this Christian thing anymore. I've heard a lot of legalistic people, a lot of people that profess Christ, a lot of people that go to church, a lot of people that are religious end up in that that pile. But not a truly born-again Christian. This next phrase in Luke chapter 11 reads, that uh, Savior has been born to you, Savior, Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. God gave joy to the shepherds in four ways. God gave, God came to them where they were. That's important. He didn't call them in from the hillside. He went out to them. God came to them as they were. I mean, shepherds usually, you know, they're around animals. They, because you're around animals, animals tend to drop things on the ground. At night, you tend to walk in it. Okay, they don't smell good. Shepherds just didn't smell good. They were the downcast of society covered with manure. Well, God came not only where they were, but he came to them as they were. He didn't yell up to them on the hillside, hey, I'm going to send some angels down there. You guys might want to go take a bath so you're all ready. God moved them from where they were. And lastly, God changed them from what they were. See, it's a work of God in your life. It's not something that you can do. It's not something that you have to do. And so the Messiah is announced. Remember that little card? This is just to say, a special gift is on the way. Well, 30 years from that announcement to the shepherds, there's a scene in the synagogue And if you turn over to Luke chapter 4, I'll close with this reading. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 19. Jesus gets up to read the scripture. It's 30-some years after this announcement that we just read about by the angel. And do you know what he reads? He opens up the scroll to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, written 700 years earlier. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, designating him as the Messiah, to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom For the prisoners and recovery of the sight of the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Says then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, the gift that was on the way arrived. 
Jesus is the one who is the only way. The only way to have joy in your life, beloved, is simply this. To understand who Christ is. Jesus, others, and then you. That's the priority. That's what will give you a true sense of joy. If you mess up the order, you mess up that word joy. And so many times we do that, but that's where the grace of God comes in. Into the night shines that light. And out of your fright, you realize you're going to be all right. Good news of great joy with a global message that is granted to you personally. And that gift has arrived. Spurgeon said this, Rejoice, you who feel that you are lost. Your Savior comes to seek and save you. Be of good cheer, you who are in prison, for he comes to set you free. You who are famished and ready to die, rejoice that he has consecrated for you a Bethlehem, a house of bread. He has come to be the bread of life to your souls. Rejoice, O sinners everywhere, for the restorer of the castaways, the savior of the fallen, is born. Join in the joy, ye saints, for he is the preserver of the saved ones, delivering them from the innumerable perils, and he is the sure perfecter of such as he preserves. Jesus is no partial savior, Spurgeon says, beginning a work and not concluding it, but restoring and upholding. He also perfects and he presents the saved ones without spot or wrinkle or any such thing before his father's throne. Rejoice aloud, all you people. Let your hills and your valleys ring with joy for a savior who is mighty to save is born among you this day. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the opportunity to have the kind of joy that we spoke about this morning through Christ. Lord, we know that we're not talking just about some lighthearted happiness, that that is limited to our circumstances. But Lord, we're talking about a deep-seated joy that's in the depth of our soul, and only that can come from you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for each heart here this morning. Lord, I pray that for those who have yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, Lord, I ask that you would woo them, that you would draw them, that you would cause them to bend their knee to you. The Messiah, the chosen one, the only one that can... Save them from their sin. For us Christians, Lord, we pray that we would be bold this time of year, that we wouldn't get caught up in all the, the negative aspects of this Christmas time, but, Lord, that we would use it for our advantage. Lord, that strategically we would reach out to people and bring them back to the real reason for this season, that being Christ, our Savior, our Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.